Welcome to our service. We're glad you're here today and that you joined us to worship and to hear God's word. A child I knew a long time ago had two parents that drove separately to his sports games. And after every game, he chose which parent to ride home with. Both parents loved him and wanted his best, but they had a different approach. On the ride home, parent A sternly pointed out all the things he did wrong, the things he should have done, the mistakes he made, the goals he missed, the shots he should have taken, and what he should have done to do better. Or he could choose to ride home with parent B, who happily pointed out all the things he did right, all the little successes he had, the things he had done better than before, the shots he took, the goals he made. And as you might guess, this child usually chose the affirmation of parent B and heard the correction of parent A later. Both parents wanted to help. But in those moments, right after the disappointment of a loss or the celebration of a win, which one would you choose to ride home with if you were him? And more importantly, which one is your picture of God? When you struggle or sin or when you face temptations or trials or difficulty, which is your picture of God? Do you ride with a God who critiques your mistakes and failures? Or do you ride with a God who delights in your successes and attempts? We're continuing our series today in the book of Romans, and we've been looking at the last, for the last few weeks at the chapter, at Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we see that God is for us. God provides for us. In Romans, we see that all have sinned. Everyone needs correction. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came so that we could receive God's unfailing grace and love. Jesus died and rose again. The Spirit is in us and helps us. God himself makes us better. He sees our sin, but he justifies us, and he declares us righteous. He adopts us into sonship as his beloved children, and he gives us the hope of glory when we suffer. And today we'll look at Romans 8, 31 to 39, which is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture and brings the first half of Romans to this powerful affirmation of God's love. When we choose to ride with a God who is for us, we can rise above anything. We can live with confidence, joy, and absolute assurance of God's unfailing love and grace. Let's read Romans 8. Verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This section of Romans 8 begins with four questions that refer back to the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8. Chapter 7 described the despair of sin and the condemnation we feel, the problem of sin and the law, because we know what's right, what we should do, but we don't know how to do it. The law tells us what we should do, but is powerless to help us. And then chapter 8 introduces the solution that the Spirit is in us and sets us free and gives us life. And Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are made new, set free, forgiven, and loved. And here at the end of chapter 8, Paul reviews this solution with four questions. He asks, What then shall we say in response to these things? And he answers, God is for us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. And Paul wants to make clear the truth of the statement he made in verse 1. It's important that we grasp this, that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died and rose again. And now he's even interceding for you, praying for you. God is for us. He is on our side. And we can rise above condemnation and guilt. When you feel guilty, that sense of guilt and condemnation shouldn't drive you away from God. It shouldn't lead you to beat yourself up. Pastor Nick talked a couple weeks ago about our Abba Father and this relationship we have with the God who loves us. We can, as his children, we can climb into his lap, admit what we've done, tell him all about it, that we're sorry, and be restored, be forgiven and loved. When we do that, God doesn't push us away. God doesn't hold, us, hold it against us. And you don't have to feel bad or hang on to that guilt. Last month in a sermon, I talked about Romans 6 and the idea that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And I gave you this phrase to say whenever you face sin and temptation. Sin is not my master. I don't live there anymore. That's not who I am. And I challenged you to say that whenever you see sin or temptation in your life. And one of my friends told me that the very next day on Monday, she realized that she had had some sinful thoughts and words, and she forgot all about it. And she thought on Monday, she felt really bad, and she thought, oh no, it's only Monday, and already I've failed. But my encouragement to her was, look, you recognized it. You admitted your sin. You saw that it was there, and you brought it into the light of God and the Spirit and the help that he can give you. And this is the no condemnation of Jesus, that when we recognize our sin, 
We don't have to get bogged down in condemnation and feeling bad or feeling far from God. That recognition of sin and guilt, that should lead us toward God, grateful for his love and grace. We can think about the Spirit and know that he will help us to grow and be better. And we can think about the four questions in Romans 8 as personal encouragement for us. What should you say in response when you sin? God is for me. Who will bring any charge against you? No one. Who condemns you? No one. Who will separate you from the love of Christ? No one. God's love gives you the right to rise above condemnation and guilt. You have the right to rise above condemnation and guilt. God is for you. And when you struggle with sin, God is not the parent who gives you the play-by-play review of all the things you've done wrong and what you should have done instead. Some of you grew up with that parent's voice, that voice of disappointment and rejection. And you struggle to hear God because that voice of condemnation is in your head. But that's not God. God's voice is delighted with you. God is the one who reviews what you did right, sees that you are growing, and adores you, mistakes and all. You are still his beloved child, loved no matter what. And you have the right to rise above condemnation and guilt. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. God is generous. His love is generous and draws us toward him, to relationship, to remember what God has done for us. We remember that the gospel is the redeeming, restoring story of God's work for us and in us. And God knows that you do not have the power to not sin on your own. And he takes responsibility to redeem and restore you. The proof of that is that he did not spare his own son, but he took the initiative to sacrifice his son so that we could be forgiven and loved. He did not spare his own son. Does that make you think of the story of Abraham and Isaac? It's what I think of. And back in Genesis 22, God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering on Mount Sinai. Were you horrified when you understood that God was asking Abraham to kill his own son and that Abraham obediently responded? That story always bothered me because why would God ask Abraham to do that? And why would Abraham obey and take this three-day journey to the mountain, probably thinking about it the whole time, and still raise the knife to kill his son until God stopped him? As a parent, that doesn't make any sense to me. But it only makes sense in light of the cross. God already knew way back in Genesis what it would take to redeem and restore me. And this is the gospel, that God loves me so much. He loves us so much. He wants to restore this broken world so much that he would not spare his own son. God would do this horrible thing 
for me and for you. And the story of Abraham and Isaac only makes sense in light of the gospel, in light of the cross, in light of God's love for us, so that we can grasp the enormity of how much God loves us, that he would not spare his own son. And if God is for us, who can be against us? My trips to visit my daughter's family in Atlanta have gotten longer now that they have a baby. And before one recent trip, I was babysitting Kaya and Grayson here. And I mentioned to them that I was leaving the next day to go to Atlanta for two and a half weeks. And they got very sad, long faces, and said, oh, we'll miss you, which was very heartwarming to me, heartbreaking for them. And so we took selfies. We snuggled up in a big chair, took selfies, made silly faces. They picked the one they liked the best, and we printed it out on my printer. We got some picture frames, and I think every grandma has a horde of picture frames with old photos. And so they picked the one they liked, decorated it, put ribbons and stickers on it. And they took that picture home, put it in their rooms, so they could remember what I look like, and that I love them, and that I'm coming back again soon. And Romans 8, 31 to 39 is like that. It's a portrait of God, of his love, so that we can remember what that love looks like. We can remember that he does love us and that he's coming back to be with us forever. These words in Romans 8 are the picture that help us remember and draw us toward God to receive his love, to be in relationship with him, to draw close to him as his beloved children. And no distance can separate us from that love. Nothing can separate us from God's love, no earthly experience, no heavenly powers. And that love is not just a warm, fuzzy, feel-good feeling. God doesn't just feel good toward us. God acts. He loves us with a powerful, active, forgiving, transforming, empowering, never-ending love. God's love is demonstrated in action, in sending his son to die for us, in sending his spirit to help us, in providing for our daily needs, in caring for us. God's love is a love that sacrifices, forgives, intervenes, transforms, strengthens, and reaches out to us. And the four questions in Romans 8 show us reassurance that God does act. He provides for our needs. The questions, the first one tells us God is for us. And there's no fear of opposition or isolation. He will give us all things. We don't have to worry about our needs. No one condemns us. We don't have to live with guilt or insecurity. And nothing can separate us from God's love. There's no trouble or hardship too big for God. And we all struggle with these things, with fear, rejection, isolation, worry, guilt, insecurity, trouble, and hardship. We try to look composed and unconcerned, but we all long for a love that will meet those needs. And we look for it in relationships, in connection, in approval, likes, and followers. And those things may or may not meet our needs. 
Scripture tells us that God's love does. Nothing can separate us from his love. But you have a choice. You can receive it or not. You have the choice to believe in Jesus and to receive his love and forgiveness, his gift of unfailing love, and treasure it, value it. Or you can forget about it and live by your own efforts. You can keep trying to be righteous and judge all those other people who aren't as good as you. Or you can ignore God's love and live for your own pleasure, indulging in what you want, money, success, status, likes. You can reject God's love and grace when something else looks better or life gets tough. But God will always love you. And Romans 8 tells us we can live with confidence, joy, and assurance that God's love is enough for us now and for all eternity. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No trouble or hardship, no suffering, no human experience, no spiritual power. Nothing can take that away. Verse 35 refers back to the middle of Romans 8 and the reality of things that do threaten to pull us away from God. Pastor Eric talked about suffering last week and that in this life there is suffering and groaning, but we have the spirit and the hope of glory to come. And Romans, verses, Romans 8 verses 35 to 36 adds that we also have the love of God to empower us when life is tough. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can rise above trouble and hardship. We will face them. We don't want to suffer. We don't like it when we do. But scripture tells us that Christians are not exempt from suffering. It's a normal part of life. But it's often unexpected and unexplained. We ask why. We question God. We might even lash out at God or others or distance ourselves from God. We might seek an easier life and look for comfort or success without God. Verse 36 includes a verse that's quoted from Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 is a psalm that rails against God, accusing God of unfairly abandoning Israel to defeat and humiliation. The psalmist in Psalm 44 says, We have not forgotten you or been false to your covenant or strayed from your path. Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he continues, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery? And when Paul inserts this quote from Psalm 44 into Romans 8, he's acknowledging the reality of unexplained suffering, that we don't understand, that we feel like God is unfair. But there's the bigger reality, that God loves you even when life is hard. And yes, you sometimes feel like God has forgotten you. And you cry out to God. And God is there. God's love is still there. 
His love is steadfast, and you can rise above suffering as conquerors. God's love gives you power to rise above trouble and hardship. God invites us to turn to him, even in our pain, even with our anger and our frustration. We can tell God what we need. We can cling to God's love. We can remember what he's done for us and trust in what he will do. God's love and his spirit empower us. We can choose faith, perseverance, even gratitude. We can dig deeper into God's word and prayer and the support of God's people. We turn to God's active and sacrificial love even when we don't feel it. And we can conquer and rise above when life is hard. And we've been experiencing that hardship, that trouble, and that power over the last year. Everyone's been talking about this, but it's been exactly a year that we've been experiencing this pandemic. We've been isolated at home. And in this year, we've fought trouble and hardship. We've felt fear and worry and uncertainty, sadness, boredom. We've struggled to adapt in our families, in our jobs, in our schools, in our church. And we have railed at God, complained to others. We have thought selfishly about our own wants and needs. And we've pointed fingers of blame at people we don't agree with. And I admit, I've done all that. But we've also turned to God, risen above, clinging to God, seeking his forgiveness, his presence, his help. We've been able to spend time with him, to serve others, to rise above the trouble and hardship, to be God's disciples. And when we suffer, we can still pursue kingdom life and live as his disciples with God, under God, and for God. And so many of you have been compelled by God's love to greater discipleship, to gratitude, to serving, to reaching out to others. And you are more than conquerors when you volunteer, when you call others, when you deliver meals and groceries, when you build desks and serve in the community. You've had to dig deep for patience with your kids and your parents, to dig deep for generosity towards those who have less, or for wisdom for God's heart regarding racism and injustice and the things that are going on in our world. You've reached out to family members, to neighbors, to seniors, to people you know and people you don't know. And I've heard so many stories about the challenges, the opportunities, and how God has blessed you in them. God's unfailing love gives you power to rise above. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in the physical world, in the spiritual heavenly world, nothing across time or space, nothing in all creation that can erase God's love. And these are words that have encouraged Christians 
throughout history. They are assurance that God will never fail or forsake us. They have the power to pursue kingdom life as his disciples. They are blessing to help us have hope and to hang on to that belief that God is good and God's love never fails. And nothing can take that away from us. Pastor Charles Stanley tells this story. In seminary, he had a professor who wanted to teach his students a lesson about grace. And at the end of evangelism class, he would distribute the final exam, instructing the class to read it all the way through before beginning to answer it. And that instruction was written at the top of the exam as well. As students read through the text, it became unquestionably clear that they had not studied hard enough. The exam was far tougher than anyone expected. About halfway through reading it, audible groans could be heard throughout the lecture hall. And on the last page, there was a note that read, you have a choice. You can either complete the exam as given or sign your name at the bottom and in so doing receive an A on the exam. And students were stunned. Was he serious? Just sign it and get an A? Slowly they grasped that the professor was making a point and that this was the gospel illustrated. And one by one they signed their names, turned in the exam, and silently filed out of the room, stunned and grateful for the grace of God. And Romans 8 is that challenge to sign your name and get the A, the grace of the gospel, the assurance of future salvation, and the experience of God's love and grace now. Some of you might not have signed that yet, but God invites you to receive all of that. Others of you have signed it, but you don't really believe it's enough, and you're still trying to pass the test. Others of you have forgotten or maybe lost sight of how stunning and glorious the grace of God is. Our God is an amazing God. God is for you, and his love and grace are enough. He's the God who created you to live in his amazing grace, his unfailing love. Stop for a moment and consider how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. In Ephesians 3, Paul prays that for us, that we would grasp how big God's love is, that we would know it, be filled with it, and live in it. You are loved, made new, and set free to live in God's unfailing love, to live with confidence, joy, and assurance that God loves you. You can live in God's unfailing love and amazing grace. God is for you, and nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. And I pray along with Paul in Ephesians 3, I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp 
How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we would be filled by it, changed by it, and live in it. Help us to to know your love, to appreciate it, to live in it, to receive it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.